Welcome to this week's edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, your host, sports manager at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And as always, Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, sad week um, in Cleveland with the passing of John Adams on Monday. I wanted to kind of start with him first, and I, I think you do too. I, I, I was really struck. Uh, well, number one, I, I thought you wrote a lovely column off of the news. Um, John Adams, of course, the longtime drummer for He's, he's Cleveland's baseball drummer, and he brought so many fans together. But I thought you wrote a lovely column on Monday when he passed away at age 71. And the headline on it was, How to Remember John Adams. He wanted to make people feel better. And I know you'd spent some time with John, and we talked about that on the podcast. Uh, last fall, you, you went out to visit him. Why don't you just talk about um, what he meant to you and kind of that visit you had with him. I thought it was really just touching the way he approached life. Actually, I saw John several times, I think three out there, a um, couple times for the story, one other time delivered the papers, talked to him on the phone a couple of times, and uh, I was honored. I got a call from Curtis Danbury. They want me to be a pallbearer Sunday or Saturday for the thing, So, which surprised me because, I, as I wrote, I had known John for decades as you know, five, ten-minute conversations, but it wasn't until – that I kind of went out for the story and we connected that we talked quite a bit about, you know, baseball, life, death, the whole thing. And so I think that's what fans were really, um, back when the original story came, I know it had one of the highest totals of hits that we had on cleveland.com for the entire year, uh, back in October. And it just keeps people still reading the original one from October plus all of these because, as several people wrote me, you know, he was one of us. They identified with him. Uh, he was not an employee of the Guardians or Indians back in the day. You know, he worked at AT&T for 40-some years. Uh, he came out first few years. They didn't even give him a free ticket. Uh, he was out there just with the drum, and, and he just kind of did it on his own. And one difference, I didn't write this, but I was thinking about this later, one difference between John Adams and many of these other kind of super fans who sort of come and go is John's uh, personality and humility, he stuck with it for nearly 50 years. And, I mean, I've gotten hundreds of emails, David, and I haven't gotten one about John being a jerk to anybody. And, frankly, I'm sure there's some out there that's like, I try to be nice to most people, but I've had some bad moments. And so that's a, that's a remarkable testimony where you say, well, I make people feel better. That's what he did. And they, people keep sending me pictures of themselves with John. He must have like posed with everybody in the bleachers at some point. Yeah, and it, that was the thing that really I loved about John Adams, and I, I didn't grow up with him like a lot of people here did. But you see, you're right, Terry. You see some of these quote unquote super fans, and the league kind of cultivates them, and they mug for the camera, and they think they're celebrities, and they they really just try to fawn for the public. And John was the opposite of that, like. He, you know, he's like, well, I'm going to go to the games when I can make it. And when I can't, it's no big deal. I do this because I love the team and I want to be there. And, and he did it because it's like, he wasn't a super fan. He was like a super man. You know what I mean? Like he was was just a great guy that people wanted to be around. And that that was, I I thought your headline captured it perfectly. He wanted to make people feel better. Even when the team was bad, Mm -hmm. once they, once they got a guy in scoring position, the drum would start and it kind of always gave fans hope. Regardless and when they of saw the him, was. Yeah. it was somebody to talk to. And the other thing that John was smart not to do compared to a lot of these super fans is he wasn't calling radio talk stations with his opinion on the team. You know, if, when you're around him, he didn't start telling you that the manager ought to be fired or whatnot. I mean, he was into the game, but he just – he wasn't a know-it-all. And those are things that you – know, what do you want – people to say about you after you pass away, you know, that you were a good guy. You treated people as you would want to be treated. Uh, you know, John walked out his faith. I love his line. I was a kosher Catholic and uh, the funeral on Saturday is going to be at uh, uh, St. Evangelion Church downtown on East Ninth. And I know that, um, you know, it's a tough one because he, he was really kind of praying and hoping against hope that somehow he could get past that onslaught of health health things that hit him. And this is a guy that was healthy for years and taught a swimming class for disabled people at Cleveland State on the side. That was one of his passions. And, you know, he was a guy that 
bang the drum for a lot of charities locally. That Those are the stuff that he liked to do. And it's just a shame that, I mean, can you imagine if he'd have been there last year for 2022 with all those ninth inning rallies and that, the drum? I mean, it just could have been a dream. I mean, he loved watching it on TV and he was telling me about that, but still it just would have been a, a, a glorious time for him. And Different people have written, well, can they get somebody else to bang the drum or whatever? I don't know. I'm not sure it's a good idea. Yeah, and, and just uh, he, he just it was so uplifting just to read what he told you about it. So many people who were would be going through what he was going through would yeah. you know feel so sad for themselves and well I've had a rough go mm-hmm. and he, he 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 just said I'm so thankful for everything I've experienced. Like there's some people who just spread hope and he would he just seemed like one of those people. And he that talked about I had my, met, he always just up, uplifted yeah. people. I'm sorry, Terry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, he he said I had my pity parties and that. But I I watched him too there. This is another thing because I spent five days a week in nursing homes in the morning stopping in to see my uh, she's not my bio mom, but this lady Melva has been like my mom for over twenty years and she's been in uh, nursing home in Fairlawn for five. So I'm quite familiar with the nursing home culture. And you watch how certain people treat the aides and the nurses and it's a tough go there like everywhere else because of the labor shortage and john was really nice to the different aides that came in and you could tell that they liked him and he knew them and called them by name you know that kind of stuff so that was another thing that just struck me and i mean i would not want to drag a drum to a game 81 times a year in cleveland I'm just telling you, I wouldn't sit in the bleachers because you got the rain, you got the snow, you got the bad team. And I'm sure he he never told me about it, but he must have run into some jerky fans. I mean, it's life out there. It was interesting, though, if you wanted to bang the drum, you only got one shot at it. That was it. <laughs> one beat and you're done. <laughs> and of the course, one beat limit. You know, he was just so, he was funny talking about, I mean, the guy, John was a good drummer. I, overall, I make mean, like castle, classical, Dixieland, uh, especially rock. He was in a couple of rock bands now and then, and he jammed with some guys from the James Gang. And, uh, and, and you know, so he had a lot of talent. And, he, you know, his line always was, I could teach a monkey to drum like this in five minutes. Um, although I got an email from a couple of fans that, well, you know, actually before the game, once in a while, we got him to kind of do something. He goes, you could tell he could really drum. You know, he would he would kind of turn it on a little bit uh, out there as opposed to, you know, the same drum beat. And, you know, just started because he thought it was sort of dumb. Everybody's just banging on those old wooden chairs at the old stadium. So why not just have a drummer with a drum? All right, Terry. So um, j- real quick, I want to just for people who haven't seen the information, the calling hours for John Adams are going to take place from 3 to 7 p.m. on Friday, and that's going to be at Furfolia Funeral Home. That's 356 West Aurora Road in Sagamore Hills. And then the funeral mass is set for 10 a.m., as you mentioned, on Saturday at the Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist downtown at 9th and Superior. Um, so I, I'm sure there's going to be a big outpouring of fans who will be at that. Um, you mentioned all oh, the one other. Th- yeah, go I'm ahead, sorry. Terry. One other thing on John before I forget, because <laughs> Um, you know, the Guardians really, especially Curtis Danberg and Bobby DiBiase, but some others, especially those two, they made sure they stayed in touch with John. Curtis would visit John at least once or twice a week. In fact, John loved corned beef. And Curtis told me uh, yesterday when we were talking, Curtis Danberg, the VP from the Guardians, he said, you know, um, five days before he died, I was talking to him. And he goes, man, I, I could really go for a corned beef sandwich. So Curtis took him a corned beef sandwich. I mean, look, at this point, you're in your final innings. It's not time to worry about the diet. And then actually, the next day, he went into intensive care. And a few days later, he had passed away. So, but that was it. So go, that actually sounds like a, a typical kind of Cleveland guy. Well, what's your final meal? I'll go for the corned beef. <laughs> Yeah, just a, uh, it was just a lovely relationship between the team and John. And, and him, yeah. And, and it went on for years. And you, Terry, you were part of it too. And I, I'm really glad you're able to be there as part of the – Because really, I just kind of came on at the end. I just had a very, very casual relationship with him until then. But we just clicked. And um, I've seen God bless me with getting to know some people. And because of my job too. And I'm not talking about – you know. <laughs> John's the most famous normal person, I think, in Cleveland history. I mean, he's a normal guy, and he's famous over decades. 
I mean, <laughs> one of the emails I love a guy wrote, I didn't realize every team didn't have a drummer until I went to like a game in Pittsburgh because I grew up there's always this guy banging a drum and you heard it on the radio. So Terry, looking forward here, I mean, <clears throat> and we've written about this and you've, you've talked mm-hmm. about it, that there is a tribute to John Adams out in center field along with the other memorial plaques. There's a drum out there and a bench. Um, I want to read this letter that we got from Neil Hausch from Akron. And he says, Hey, mm-hmm. David and Terry, no one can replace what John Adams meant to Cleveland baseball as he really was the heartbeat of the ballpark, which I think is a wonderful phrase. Despite a few celebrity cameos to play the drum, the franchise has not done anything to con- continue the tradition John started. Well, I mean, it's, it's very soon. But Terry, who do you, Terry, why do you think this is the case? Considering this team and the excitement for the upcoming season, why not audition for a new full-time drummer? Thank you both. What do you think of the idea of carrying on John's tradition, or should they let it just end with it? Man, with John? What, what is, what is I, your w- I, w- I wish I had that email <laughs> to ask John. It would be interesting to see what he thought. <sighs> yeah, it's you a could tough audition. One. It's a tough one because you don't want a pro. That's what I'm thinking. You know, there'll be all these drummers that want a pro and kind of, I get in there, I'm the guy that replaced him and, you know, try to market themselves. Yeah. You know what kind of reminds know. me of Terry is when Harry Carey passed away in Chicago. Yeah. And Harry used to do the seventh inning stretch, take me out to the ball game. They started yeah, bringing in it. people to to sing it and to carry on the tradition. And so I don't know what the Guardians are going to do. It might, you know, for for this season as a way to remember John, maybe they could just play a video of him whenever yeah, they're running, they'll have you know, some something of like that. And then they mm-hmm. can, t- you know, how it is with some time, you can kind of, you you kind of figure out what feels like the right thing to do. But it's an interesting idea. There's got to be some way to pay tribute to him. That, and I, I'm not sure what it is either. It's hard. I do like the idea of uh, a patch on the uniform for the year. You could do that and to honor whoever you'd like, you know, whether it's just the drum or John and the drum or something. Um, because he, now he would love that. I can tell you that. That would be something that John would love. Would be just, man, my drum's on the, on the uniform. Um, that would be very cool. So... And they could give away little, I mean, I have people, they should give away kind of a little drum club or something. They could do all kinds of stuff with, with promotions and giveaways. Uh, a, a shirt, people would love to have a shirt. And then John has these very char- various charities, and they could then use that to, you know, raise some money for his uh, different charities that he has. So that would be a good way. I'm, I'm really divided on another drummer, though. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite, I can, I'm not ready to go down that road yet. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, they'll figure out the right thing. I'm sure the Guardians. The Guardians have already announced, um, as part of the services, that in lieu of flowers, they're asking fans to make a donation to the John J. Adams Scholarship Fund that mm-hmm. has been that he created to support students um, and organizations in the arts, music, dance, and visual and industrial art. So, if you want to check that out, it's at johnjadamsscholarship.org. That's John J. Adams scholarship.org. And um, I don't know, Terry, I, I, it's, there's never going to be any, anybody else like him. Uh, I think we're pretty yeah, safe because, to say that. Because they didn't create it, it just happened. Well put. When so. teams try to create something, it's generally pretty hard to make it work. It's like, why do some teams have all these different mascots? I remember the baseball um, before. Uh, they had like a baseball bug. I'm trying to think of all the old mascots they had before Slider. And they went through a bunch of them. Remember when the cats had a polar bear? I was like, what was that? And so it, it's hard to come up with this stuff. And somebody like John came out of nowhere. And those are the, yeah. kind, the ones that are surprising and just naturally happen. So, all right, Terry, uh, rest in peace, John. And, um, there's all the information if you'd like to donate and the services are this weekend. So, all right, Terry, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk some more baseball and uh, get to everything else. All right. How's that sound? Excellent. All right. We'll be right back on Terry's talking. We're back on Terry's talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's keep, uh, I want to continue with some baseball here. Big news this week. Bally sports is a apparently headed toward bankruptcy. I think Bloomberg was the first to report it. The Guardians are one of 14 
Major League Baseball teams that have their games broadcast by Bally Sports, the Cavs do too, of course. And apparently Bally's is $8.6 billion in debt. <laughs> And I don't they have to laugh, but it's like it's, wow. it's a crazy big number. Uh, and they have 140 million in interest to a, a payment coming up this spring. They're probably going to miss that. This is going to throw a lot of teams into flux, including the Cavs and the Guardians. And Bally's just came out with this thing for their Bally Sports app. I think it was 19.99 a month. They were asking fans to pay that to watch the Cavs and the Guardians games. Um, where do you stand with all this? I mean, we've talked about this and written about it at Cleveland.com. If you buy the, the the entire league package for baseball, for MLB, or for the NBA, you still can't watch the Cavs. It's blacked out here because Bally's owns the rights, and now they're apparently going bankrupt. So what, what's your take on what all this means to the Cavs and the Guardians? First of all, baseball's had to address this problem of they can't get their games on – the various streaming services and everything else. I think like half the market at this point was not getting uh, Guardians games. I heard something like that. I'm not positive, but it's a big chunk. And so what this, you know, most of the time you don't make a dramatic change in something unless there's some real pain involved. Well, this is major pain. So this should force MLB and the NBA and all those to say, all right, well, how do we want to get our gains? How are we going to run these TV packages? And maybe even making revenue more fair. Uh, because it's ridiculous that you could buy the MLB package and you don't get your local team. I mean, that's just stupid. And you talk about uh, things that the NFL would never do. Now, granted, all their games are national because it's once a week and that, but they would just not do that. Because they would know it's dumb. They would find a way because they have the product. It's not like the TV stations have the product. The TV stations are consumers for this and the uh, you know the various streams. You have the product. So what you want to do is get your product to the most places and also bring in the money too. So this could, could really force MLB to maybe consolidate. Maybe the teams take all their broadcast in-house again or whatever it is. But it can't – It really, I thought it was untenable for a while the way it was going. And so this will force it because if nobody's getting paid, they're going to want to figure out how to get paid here. Oh, it, yeah, it's crazy, Terry. I mean, if you watch – the, if you look at the NFL, the NBA, their entire marketing strategy is we want to be out there as much as possible and make mm -hmm. it as easy as possible for fans to find our product. And – Man, when I was a kid, like in Chicago in the 1980s, the White Sox made a decision like in 1983 or 85, somewhere in there, that they were going to go on a cable service called On TV, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. And if you lived in Chicago, they didn't, they didn't have cable in Chicago back then. It wasn't allowed because the city council and the mayor hadn't approved it. And so for, I think there was probably five or seven years where the White Sox were on this On TV and nobody could see the games. And they lost. That's when the Cubs took over Chicago was because the White Sox weren't on. And yeah, nobody they're on could GN, WGN, and then yeah, GN went on. Then when cable came, GN went on. At, remember, the Braves used to build themselves as America's team, WTV, because they were on. Uh, that's right. WTBS and the Braves and the Cubs were both nationally available. And you know how it is, Terry. People sit at home and watch baseball in the summer, sure. especially a lot of people who maybe can't get out of the house. And there are people who live in Nebraska and 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 Florida, who are Braves fans or Cubs fans because they were able to watch the games. And I, I just feel like MLB is kind of taking a very short-sighted approach to this. I know they need the money, but if you are if you can't be seen, you're not going to get fans out to the ballpark, and you're not going to build generations of young fans. And it, you're right, they got to do something. So I guess my question is who? Like maybe MLB does take it in-house? Yeah, but there aren't in a lot of other there aren't a lot of other – options out there i guess like apple or amazon could maybe buy these teams broadcasts and stream them and make them part of amazon prime or apple plus or something but, but there's not there's not a lot of regional kind of broadcasters that are really right. do this right i'm sorry and you got to be careful because if you do that your demographic for baseball is older and your older fan is not going to spend a lot of time trying to stream on peacock I mean, just or Hulu or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know what's on who. That, that's the problem right there where you go, I don't know what's on who or who's where. You don't know. 
And if you can't get the first base on how to exactly to get your games, you're in big trouble as a league. So this would be a way for it to make be it uniform. First thing you start with, if you buy the Major League Baseball package, you get all the games. That's one way you can do it. And then you chop up the revenue. And then you get into other uh, areas too. So this is just to force them to face this. And you know, one of the big reasons that there's such a uh, inequ- uh, inequality in revenue is because if you're in Boston or New York or L.A., you know, the bigger markets, you're getting far more, five or six times as much cable income coming in as you are in Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, et cetera. And that's, uh, you know, for a while, uh, the Indians, the old Indians were had a deal with Fox Sports where they basically, they owned it. They owned their own right. They had it in-house and then they sold it to Bally's, um, which I think, didn't help them at all. I mean, maybe it helped them financially, but then you got into all the problems there. Uh, I don't have a lot of answers, but I know this pain will force them to get creative and to finally face this problem, which has been bubbling up for years. Oh, you might, you're right, Terry. It might be a good thing in the, in the long run. And it's, it's kind of like ripping the Band-Aid off. And maybe this is the Band-Aid coming off and they can they can solve this because they need to be out there more. There's no doubt about it. So, And the, look, your, your the audience was the, – the, the current way you were doing, your audience was dwindling every year because people were going away from from the cable. And I don't know, on this app and think, will people buy into that? I don't know. Uh, maybe some. Well, the the NBA and the NFL, you've got to be everywhere all the time on every platform. I mean, that's their approach, and I think baseball mm-hmm. needs to follow down that path. So, um, all right, Terry, you want to get into the Cavaliers here? Sure. Let's do it. All right, so uh, we're taping this on Wednesday morning. Cavs lost 100-97 to to the Heat last night, and I read your column this morning, Terry, and I could just feel – I don't know if steam was coming out of your ears, but mm-hmm. I could just feel you squeezing your pen or whatever as you're watching the game. Yeah. You, you have ideas on the way the Cavs are playing and why they're losing games like they lost last night, um, and especially against playoff caliber teams. Talk about w- what you saw last night from the Cavs and what they need to do differently. Well, first of all, they jumped out to a 16-5 to lead about five minutes into the game, which means, by the way, so for the rest of the game, they scored a grand total of 71 points. And meanwhile, of course, the other team scored 95. And that is a, that's a problem right there. They came out playing that kind of tough way, and they went to the rim a few times, and they scored. And they thought that you kind of knocked Miami out. Of course, Miami plays that way all the time. They want to play it slow. They want to play it hard. They want to, they want to, they want to frustrate you. Um, and they want to t- take you into a place where you're taking shots that you don't want to take or you're simply not making. And it drove me nuts. I mean, when you look at the box score and this stat just jumped out at me. And when you're 11 of 40 on three pointers, but you're 29 of 43 on two pointers. First of all, I don't like that 50, 50 ratio. Not when you have big men are able to score, but it's like, why are you shooting all these three pointers? They are not going in. And furthermore, when you did get the ball inside, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley were very effective and just get them the ball. And you just, you know, we've talked about this in the past, but this whole stupid stuff about, well, you know, three points are better than two. You know, my counter is always in two points are better than none, especially when the three pointers are not going in. Right now, Donovan Mitchell is struggling. I think. How about this? Since he's come back, he's played 95 minutes. He's taken two free throws. Tells you he's not driving their basket. That's an incredible now, is he not, stat. Is he not driving to the basket because uh, the groin thing, and he just doesn't feel good going in there? So he's settling for a lot of these long jumpers. Sometimes he's off balance. Um, and so either you've got to, if you're Bickerstaff, say, we got to get you healthy, or we got to get you going to the basket. But either way, you can't just keep jacking up these shots that are not going in from a long way out. Uh, and also, you got to read the uh, read the game. This is not going to be one of those 120 point games. You could tell early on it was going to be slowest defensive, and also basically that's the way these guys play. 
That's how Miami's going to play. And secondly, the Cavs play a very slow pace, you know, given how things are. So I, I don't know. I just found that uh, this was just – it was a very frustrating game for me because I just thought that they didn't make the adjustments that needed to be made offensively. Yes, they could have been better defensively, but if you hold a team to 100 points, remember that in the NBA, teams average 112. That's like holding 90 or less. you got to win the game. Well, the other thing, Terry, I mean, you know how it is in the NBA. This is the time of year that is just drudgery for these guys. They're they're banged up. They're just trying to yeah. get to the all-star break so they can get a few days off in a mm-hmm. row. And I, the other thing you brought up in your column that I wanted to bring up here is this is this is the time of year when you can ride Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Yeah. Dump the ball down to them and give it to the guys who can shoot 60%, 70% from the field so that you're not having to work so hard on the perimeter. And I thought you made a great point. Like they should be riding those guys into the all-star break. They've shown they can do it when you get them Mm -hmm. the ball. Right. So you want to see Ricky Rubio and and the other guards feeding these guys, the ball more and giving them more shots. Right. They were 15 to 23. Those two guys, I see Mobley taking a huge step up the last month offensively. He's finding things he can do. Now he's not the, the typical low post guy, but you could isolate him on the wing. And you have your shooters, you know, you can spread them out a little bit, isolate them on the wing, just let them go. He takes one, two dribbles, and he, he, he whirls, and he's at the rim. He's making these nice little jump hooks. Um, of course, there's another thing. Towards the end of the game, he's on the three-point line. They throw him the ball. He, t- he fires up a rock from there. Good. Let's have him shoot three-pointers, too. This is what they need. It's like, please. And I'm not anti-three-pointers. I get that that's the way you have to play. But that game – was basically figured out any way you could get a point was valuable. And what people miss when they talk about, well, firing these threes from the outside and you throw it inside and it's only two, they've missed a key point. People who are big men inside, they get fouled. That puts free throws at the line. It gives you, you know, quote, quote, unquote, free points. It puts, you know, the foul total on the other team, sets up penalty situations. Um Actually, give some people sometimes time, especially if you're playing hard defensively, a little bit of a rest while the guy shoots the free throws. There's a lot. It's a lot of good things when you're inside. And finally, if you're a big man and you hardly ever get the ball and you finally do, you're probably not going to throw it back out. Now, if it's coming into you and going back, you'll you'll just pass the ball more because uh, Allen's a pretty good passer. Mobley's an excellent passer. And so I'd like to see that happen and usually I, i'm dwelling on the defense but i'm you know 100 points you give up 100 points that at home you should win there's no doubt um terry i want to ask you kind of an existential question about the Cavs. so they're 31 and 22 right number five seed in the east um I, you see a result like last night and i started thinking like are the Cavs good like are they good because it seems like when they play a playoff caliber team, this is the kind of game they lose a lot. And I'm like, should mm-hmm. we expect more from this team or not? Because as you've written many times, and we've talked about on this podcast, most of the, I think the entire starting lineup is under 26, mm-hmm. right? What should we expect? Are these guys good? And and what would be what would be a good season for them? Should they win a playoff series? Should they win two playoff series? Like. How good is this team in your mind, and what would what should we expect? I think I picked them at forty eight wins, which would make them like fourteen over, like forty eight and thirty four. Um, They're on pace to win fifty, pretty much. So yeah. fifty wins, but but like, what should, it's hard what to should win, you expect from all, this team? First of all, it's hard to win fifty in the NBA. Uh, it really is, and I want to caution some people too. And and I, we've talked about. Mitchell and, you know, I've made my case where I do think he's the second best player I've seen here since LeBron. But Mitchell was never able to carry Utah very deep in the playoffs. Keep that in mind. I think second round was the farthest he's got. I'd have to look. But that was one of the frustrations there in Utah, why they decided to trade Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, is they felt they just couldn't get real deep in the playoffs. That doesn't mean um, – there's a problem with Mitchell, but I'm just simply saying this is this is not LeBron. You know, this is not uh, Giannis. And of course, Giannis wasn't Giannis for a while either until the team grew around him and they figured out they, they changed coaches and they figured out a way to play. 
So I'm, I just think they're pretty good. And I, I take the long view with them. What I want them to do is learn how to play in these type of games. And just because everybody shoots threes, don't just jack up threes when you're 11 of 40. And some Bickerstaff usually has a pretty good handle on things, but but I think he puts a lot of his efforts on the defensive end, which I'm all for. But sometimes you just have to say, look, Donovan, you got to go to the rim. Even Darius, they hate mid-range shots. They hate that 15, 18-footer. But Darius is really good at that shot. So instead of that 25-footer, and it's not feeling real good, I think he was 2 of 7 yesterday, um, take a dribble or two in. You know, pump fake dribble or two, and you'll just make you'll have that shot open all day, and you'll make it. I mean, Mitchell took thirteen three pointers yesterday, and I think he made three, and he took four point four shots, basically drives to the rim, and he made three. So, I'm you know we've been praising him or whatever, but when when that kind of situation is going. Is happening. All you got to, yeah, he was three of 13 on threes and three of four on twos. All you've got to do is say, Donovan, you know, we're in the third quarter here. Get to the rim, man. Let's get some points. This is a tough game. And also, if he goes in there and even if he misses, he's going to attract so much defensive attention. All of a sudden, Mobley and Allen will be able to crash the boards for offensive rebounds and not be blocked out. So there's a lot of good things that people miss when they just turn this into a math problem. All right. So in terms of how you think Cavs should fans should feel in terms of getting frustrated or being hopeful, you're you're. It seems like you're in the camp of like it's going to be okay. They'll yeah. figure it out. That's yeah, I think they stand. will. And this is what I want to see over their last you know 50 games or whatever they have left. 49, I think. And um, no, that's that's incorrect. Bad math on my part. <laughs> they played 53, 53, so they have about they have uh, 29, 29 they have left. 29 left, yes. So um, what we're talking about there is how you're going to play after the break and set yourself up. But you really do want to uh, you know, fight to get in that top six. I think that's your goal. And that's not, that's not a given at all. You just saw Miami's right behind them. Do you think Miami's going to end up in the play-in? I don't know. I don't think so. You got Brookline. You got all those different teams. And that that's so that's good. That's challenging. Well, I'll tell you what I do like about this, and I kind of like how would the, how the play on tournament play in tournaments created this is it puts more emphasis on the regular season. Even if Steve Kerr doesn't want to play five guys some nights or whatever, you 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 do want to be in that top six. You don't want to get in the play in tournament. Where I remember when Braun was here, it was kind of like, look, I don't care whether we're the first seed or the eighth seed, as long as we're in. That's good enough. And when you drop it down to eight, usually if you're, you know, you win 45, 46 games, you're in there. Uh, now that's not the case because you could end up in that playing thing and then you have a bad day or two, you're done. All right, Terry. So the Cavs um, play on Thursday, which is Groundhog Day. They're home against Memphis at 7.30. Then they play Sunday at Indiana at 5, 5 o'clock tip, and then Monday at Washington. Those are their next three games. And, we're getting close to the all-star break. And of course the trade deadline is February 9th. So we shall see. So, all right, mm-hmm. let's move to the NFL, Terry. Um, did you watch the games over the weekend? And if so, what struck you? Anything make you think of the Browns over the weekend? Well, I bailed kind of early on the, um, the game with San Francisco because it was pretty obvious that when you're down, it was a Josh Johnson was in there, whoever it was, it was not going to be good. And, um, but underrated for Philadelphia is their defense. And you roll back to, yeah, you got Mahomes, you got Burrow. But what was the final score of that game? Come on, David. What was it? 34 to 7 or something? No, no. I'm sorry. The oh, Cincinnati, the Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Oh, three-point game. 23-20, yeah. right? Yeah. Not 33-30. Not 43-40. 23-20. And you had two elite quarterbacks, but you also had two very good defenses keeping that thing close. So while there's all this emphasis, clearly you've got to get Watson up to speed and playing, playing well. Um, you have to complement that with, I would say maybe not a great defense, but at least a good one because these other teams have good defenses. I mean, well, two, Jones yeah. was, by the way, Jones was showing, remember he talked about the top three guys to um, the defensive player of the year award. 
uh, Jones from Kansas City, he was like all over the place in that game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, there were two things that kind of hit me, Terry, going back to kind of Brown stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, number one is the AFC is going to be very tough to win yeah. in the next four years, even with Deshaun Watson. The Browns are going to have their yeah. work cut out. I think they know that. And and the second thing was, you know, the old only in Cleveland OIC mantra that we've heard over the last 50 years of mm-hmm. all the crazy stuff happening in Cleveland. The Bengals lost the other day because uh, one of their defensive players oh, pushed Patrick Mahomes out of yeah. bounds and gave them a 15-yard penalty for a field goal at the end. So it's not only in Cleveland. Crazy stuff happens in other towns, too. So I thought maybe some Browns, fan, Browns fans could take some solace in knowing that other teams lose games in bad ways every once in a while, too, even in big ones. So, <laughs> And you have to kick your field goals. I think the kicker, I think McPherson from Cincinnati, still has yet to miss in the postseason in his two-year career. Yeah, which is really something. So. And look, the, it was a was it a forty-one yarder that uh, Buckner made for Kansas City. Not a given. Big moment down Cold the middle. Weather. Yep. Cold weather kicked it down the middle. Three points. Yep. So you know those are all things that uh, I saw. And Mahomes, you know, we've all liked Mahomes, but man, he learned to he played from the pocket for the most part. All right. The other NFL thing this week, Terry. Well, a couple of things. The the salary cap is going up to two hundred and twenty four point eight million, mm-hmm. and this the franchise tags have been determined. And this is interesting because I'm wondering if the Ravens might put a franchise tag on Lamar Jackson for thirty two point four one six million next year and see how it goes. Um, that is going to be one of the big storylines of the off season. But so anyway, that was one thing I thought I'd mention. The other thing, the Pro Bowl is just getting ridiculous, right? <laughs> What is the point? Yeah. They already have a golf drive thing in it. Just let them go play golf and get a get a trophy. That's it. Well, they can take their wife to Hawaii and have a nice whatever. It's it's not Yeah, something like that. But I mean, this week Derek Carr and Tyler Huntley were offered spots in the Pro Bowl, which is so crazy to me. By and, the way, a couple of people email and I agree. Well, if you're going to do Tyler Huntley, what do Jacoby Brissett? Oh, for sure. I mean, if you look at Jacoby Brissett's stats, I mean, and you wrote about this during the season, yeah. Terry, he, he was top third in the league in terms of productivity. Yeah. And so where's he? Tyler Huntley, I think, played six games, and Derek Carr didn't even finish the season with the Raiders because they told him to go away. They go, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it is a complete joke, and they and they should just admit. I'm surprised the NFL lets that go on because they tend to be smarter than that. This is almost like a baseball thing. You know, let's just keep ignoring the problem until it gets worse. Um, the Pro Bowl, once upon a time, when they only had maybe two teams in the playoffs, or sometimes back, like, for example, you know, when the Browns in 1964 won, they they just kind of won, won. You know, there, there was not all these rounds of playoffs. But with all that, uh, these guys – they like the trip. They'll take the trip to Hawaii and that, but you can just you can kind of make an in-house thing, and you, they go out there. You could just have an NFL day on TV. They all talk. They do interviews. Throw some footballs around. But yeah, we're you like pick you pick a real Pro Bowl team though. This is the team, and it's you know? it is the team regardless of who makes the Super Bowl and who doesn't. Yes, yeah. exactly. We're, we're pretty much like two steps from that old superstars show. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Do you remember on ABC where they had Howard Cosell and I'm here to interview Suzanne Summers, who just swam the 50 yard freestyle. You yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, it's just stupid. <laughs> it's like we're headed down that path. Yeah. And that's why I just think make it like a maybe a, a, a convention for stars where they come in and they, you know, you, you pay them a bunch of money to come there. They could play some golf. The TV will be around just interviewing different people and highlight packages and just make it a big TV show. And don't, you know, worry about kicking or whatever they're doing. I don't know what the skills contest is. (laughs) I almost feel like I'm wasting time talking about it because it's such a waste of time. Yeah, it is. So I'm sure the NFL will see where where things are headed. They'll they'll probably make some adjustments next season, I'm guessing, because it used to mean something to make the Pro Bowl, and now it doesn't. So no. Um, all right, Terry, no, we got some, I'm sorry, we got some Hey Terry questions. Did you have something okay. else you want to say about the Pro Bowl or if we spent too much time on it already? <laughs> no, we probably did. But I just want to underline that a couple things that struck me, though, in those games was that these teams have good defenses 
And secondly, they have pretty good special teams. And that is a big part of the equation. And on top of it, you know, the Browns, now you will start to really begin to feel the pain of the Watson contract. Even though the salary cap is going up, it, it the, the picks that have been traded, the money that, uh, you know, so they're going to have to figure out what to do with uh, Amari Cooper's contract. I think it's on the books for $23 million or something like that. You know, uh, Miles has a big number. It's in the high 20s. And, of course, I believe Watson counts 50 Six million on the cap. So you just add those up right there. And also, I believe uh, Denzel's going to come in at 20 some. So you're looking at almost 120 million for four guys. And that all does not bode well for John Johnson sticking around no. because they could save, I think, 13 million if, if what he's do you gone. Think of so. him? I was not a fan. I really wasn't. Yeah. I thought he quit on a lot of plays, and I I thought he had some really good games, and I thought he had some really bad games, and there were some plays where you could see on film that he just stopped. Um, some of those big runs. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think he's going to be back. I don't think they'll want him at that number, but that's just no, me. I, I'm basing that solely on my opinion and what I saw. So He was a big disappointment to me, too. I thought he would be more of a playmaker, and he just wasn't. And so... You know, they've done better, David, when they've brought in people on these some of these one-year contracts than some of their bigger investments. And when you go back and think about, you know, Pozik or um, – oh, he the, – the Even guy Clowney from, last year. Oh, Clowney, yeah. But the guy from um, Baltimore – I'm sorry, from Indianapolis they brought in to play linebacker. And he Anthony, got Walker. Anthony, Anthony Walker. Anthony Walker. Yeah. He's really a nice signing. Uh, and some of these other players that they have brought in for for one year, Liv, you know, Olivia Vernon was a guy in a trade. Then they they, they re-upped them for a year. Those kind of guys, uh, as opposed to um, say John Johnson or um, Austin Hooper, for example, was another that didn't do very well. So that would be one thing where, um, if I were Andrew Barry's boss, say what what is our strategy for free agency here? You know, get the analytics department going. Let's lay out everybody that's been signed, the type of contract you got them on, and their productivity. And then let's look at our scouting reports and who were also we were considering. See, this is an internal thing that we we picked John Johnson over this guy to give the thirteen million a year to or whatever. Was it right or not? See, that's a nice thing that if you could ever get internally. You have the you have the reports. You should have the rankings of the various free agents they were going for, and where they allocated the money. Good, bad, or um, sometimes it's just indifferent. You know, maybe maybe you gave money to a guy that didn't play very well, but the other two guys on the list didn't do it either. Oh, I got a question. Oh, sure. Would you would you trade a? Uh, this has been around, but would you trade a first round pick um, to get a coach? Oh no, the Sean Payton equation. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think uh, Belich- I think Belichick, they gave up a second rounder or two second rounders way back in the old days. The, the Patriots did to the Jets. Yes, it was something like that. It, it doesn't happen all that often. John Gruden also was traded, I remember, mm-hmm. from the Raiders Bucks. to the Buccaneers. Yeah. Um, so it does happen. But, yeah, you don't see it very often. It's really interesting when it does happen. And, and they must feel like he's worth it. And, hey, you know, it worked out for Tampa Bay. They won a Super Bowl with with John Gruden, and it worked out for uh, the Patriots when they got Belichick. So maybe this will mm-hmm. work out for the Broncos. That was. That but would was you? I, I'm saying, would you trade a first round pick? Um, I would not, but it depends on the coach. I mean, would would you trade a first round pick for Bill Belichick? Yes. Yeah, maybe not at this point in his career, but Andy Reid, yes. Yeah. That's Sean what Payton, I was thinking. Sean, I should take that back. Sean Payton might be worth it. And little known fact, Terry, did you know that I played high school football against Sean Payton? You did? We played. Yeah, my high school played. He went to Naperville Central High School. We played them in the playoffs. We were beating them 17 to 14 in the second half. And then Sean Payton spent the entire second half running around in the backfield, and we couldn't catch him. He probably threw for 300 yards, and we wow. lost 34 to 17. Was he and good then, in college or anything? Oh, yeah. He went, he went to Eastern Illinois and broke every passing record there. And wow. then Tony Romo came after him and broke all of his records. So. Anyway, that's my Sean Payton story. Nobody wants no, to No, I like it. that. That's, I mean, that's always cool. Those are always good. In fact, if you're out there and you want to send us uh, 
hey Terry, email to Dave and I. You know, I played against whomever it was. Oh yeah, um, I love that. Yeah, that would be interesting to see and tell the truth. Um, I remember I faced a guy named Dave Tobik, and he went pitched a few years with the Tigers and that in the summer. And I think I only batted against him once. I never saw the ball. And he, <laughs> you know, he's probably only throwing 90, 91, but it felt like 120 to me. Um, so, you know, those are the the kind of things that the, the, they're always fun stories. Yeah, I so, love that idea. Terry. So listen, anybody who wants to send, tell us who you played against, notable people you played sports against. Send it to sports at cleveland.com. Put Terry's talking or I played against so-and-so in the, in and the, you uh, have the line. to we'll try and get tell the week. truth. Tell the truth. I don't want to hear that, you know, I faced Shane Bieber in college out in L.A. And, you know, when he was in Orange County All-Star game and I went two for three and it was a line drive was my third out. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll see what we get. I think that's a wonderful idea, and then we'll we'll uh, get him on next week's podcast. So, all right. Speaking of which, we got some hey Terry questions again. The email, if you want to send in, is sports at cleveland.com. This was kind of an interesting one, Terry. It's from Philip Camp in Parma, and he says, "Hey Terry, would Pete Franklin make it in today's market?" The first sports book I bought was an autographed copy of Pete and Terry's. You could argue, oh but you'd be wrong. And he says, as for a book recommendation, Philip says, Brother Lawrence's classic Practice of the Presence of God. Ah. It's only 96 pages, but yeah. quite helpful. Uh, thanks for that question, Philip. So what do you think? How, how would Pete Franklin fare in today's sports media market, Terry? I don't think very well, although unless he would adjust. Would ha- <laughs> I'm kind of divided because Pete was one of the smartest people I knew. He knew jazz. He knew classic literature, all this stuff. Uh, so he figured out what worked. I mean, now he was, he's so outrageously politically incorrect that they would have they would have gone crazy about that to be picketing the station and everything. Um, he just had the advantage of being on a fifty thousand watt WTAM doing sports talk when nobody else was doing it. And I remember WERE had. In fact, Greg Brenda was sort of coming up back then. But the poor Greg, he was on a station with, with no signal. And on top of that, Franklin was hooked into, you know, all the others. Now, Franklin went to WFAN in New York. It did not work out well at all for him there. Then he ended up in the Bay Area for a number of years. And it was okay, but it was nothing like here. I mean, he had the the advantage of – I mean, it's kind of like somebody wants to play the drum after John Adams. Well, somebody did the drum. And did it for a long time. Well, Pete Franklin did Pete Franklin. I mean, Pete Franklin would say something like, you know, ah, tell me, I got a question for you. How can you wear a straight jacket and dial a phone at the same time to call me? <laughs> All right, right there, you're being fired. Now, I didn't say that. I am simply quoting a Pete Franklin thing from way back when. <laughs> that was a good okay. impersonation. It was a good one. Yeah, too. so that's that's what he would do. <laughs> It would be a fascinating thing to see. I'll tell you that it would. Yeah, I, I do wonder because you people who are really good at, at hosting shows and and being in sports media adapt. And I, I do. I don't. I didn't know Pete, but I I get the sense that he might have adapted. But I, I don't know. You knew him better than I did. Obviously, he's also just even though he was not from here at all, he was Cleveland, and he also he did the work. You know, it, it would really anger the people in the like he and Hal Levis had a long time feud that went on and on, and uh, but also it was because Pete would break stories now and then. Now, granted, they had uh, the fifty thousand is what is now WTAM. He was on that, and and they had the the teams, but still, you know, he would show up at games. He would talk to the GMs. They would talk to him, and and the other thing, like if you now he would be he might even rip these guys when they're not there, but when they were on the air. And he interviewed them, David. I mean, it wasn't as he was nice. He gave them a lot of room to explain. See, he was smart about that. As I said, he was smart about that stuff. So really, none of these people were afraid to go on with Pete because generally he kind of gave them softball questions. And I think his feeling was, like, I've been taking him apart now for the last two weeks. So let's see what he has to say. Yeah, the old fairness doctrine. Give them equal time, huh? Yeah, so – well, great stuff. Thanks for that question. All right, we, we're running a little short on time, Terry. Let's take one more. This is from Chuck Laughlin, who I think emailed us a while back. Chuck is from Menor. He says, hey, Terry, I think you got a question about this over the weekend in your Hey, Terry column that you wrote. He's, um, Chuck says, the Browns 
front office seems to be high on Stefanski. However, when I look at the head coaches of our division rivals, I would gladly trade Stefanski for any one of them. Would you? Right now, yes. How can you not say that? What, you don't want Mike Tomlin? You don't want John Harbaugh? They're never bad. They're never bad. I and mean, then, if those guys were 7-10, and 10, they would be jumping off buildings. They're never bad. And then Zach Taylor just went to the Super Bowl a year ago. Second, twice. You know, he, he hooked up with Burrow. And, I, by the way, I remember when Taylor was hard. I had a couple of GMs that I respect tell me, go, I don't think that guy's all that good. This, of course, the bottom line is you don't know. Most people – at the time, if you were to line up before they became head coaches, Stefanski and Zach Taylor, very few would have picked Taylor over Stefanski. Now, granted, he forgot the quarterback, but also just they have a total team over there. They got a kicker. They got defense. And they got the quarterback. And they're really good. I would have been really curious to see if Joe Burrow had ended up with the Browns, what people would think of Stefanski. Because that guy is a stone-cold yeah. killer. And, yep. But anyway, Terry, you know what they say in investing, that uh, past performance is no guarantee of future success. And I, I think this is what makes sports great. It's like, I'm better than you, and I'm going to prove it. And, I mean, Kevin Stefanski was the 2020 NFL Coach of the Year and led them to an 11-5 and record, and that was not that long ago. And I would agree. I think the other th- three coaches, their resumes are better at this point. But, uh, hey, the next four years are going to make or break the Browns and Kevin Stefanski. and They've made some changes. I think it's going to be just a remarkable 2023 season. I can't wait to see these divisional games. It's really going to be something. But uh, anyway, thanks for that question, Chuck. We appreciate it. Again, if you want to send us uh, questions for next week's podcast or stories of you playing sports against notable people, hit us at sports at cleveland.com. And we will try and get it on next week's podcast. Terry, um, we had one book of recommendation already. Do you have one for this week you wanted to throw out real quick? No, basically, though, I have the uh, cheap plug of this week. Oh, great. And that is that Tuesday night at 6.30, be at the Tuscarora's Library in New Philadelphia this Tuesday at 6.30. Myself and my uh, NPR partner, Amanda Rabinowitz from WKSU, we've been doing weekly commentaries on uh, it's like seven NPR stations now in Northeast Ohio, I think for like uh, 15 years. And she's from down there. So that's where she started. So she's a new Philadelphia legend. And we have a good time when we go down and do that. So Sunday, 630, if you bring some books, I'll sign them. But the prerequisite is that they should be a book that I wrote. <laughs> or you with Pete Franklin. That, that's also with Pete, Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, Terry, that's going to do it. Thanks for that. Get out to that library appearance if you can. And one last plug, I ask everyone to try and subscribe to cleveland.com to help support our journalism. The easiest way to do it, and if you're a Browns fan especially, if you go to cleveland.com slash Browns and click on the blue banner at the top, you can sign up. You get a Browns newsletter that we produce every day, all the content on cleveland.com, and you get to join our Browns Football Insider subtext group where our reporters will text you their thoughts on the team every day, even in the middle of February when the season is over. That's it. I think we're good, Terry, right? I am done. All right. Have a great week, everybody. We will catch you next time on Terry's Talking.